time for the quarterly report with your host, Armand Lee. If ever there was a week to have a show to talk about sports, this is the week. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Armand Lee, and I am welcoming you all to the 97th episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. I can't believe it, but I can believe how amazing of a show that we have in store for you this week. Again, the the level of absurdity, the number of just crazy events that have happened. I'm always excited to talk about sports, but this week, man, I'm coming with some, some heat, man, because... So much has happened, so much that makes no sense. We're going to try to make sense of it all with my guest this week, Wally Akinzo, host of the Urban Sports Scene Podcast. We're going to talk about NFL free agency, the Los Angeles Lakers, and of course, big time fight this Saturday between Mikey Garcia and Errol Spence. Plus, when having too much money and being a helicopter parent goes wrong. One of my favorite stories that maybe we have ever touched on on this podcast history, I'm going to dive in deeper to maybe the strangest slash funniest stories that have come across our attention spans in a long time. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First, one of the things that initially turned me off on a lot of sports commentary, a lot of sports talk, is that so many people would always argue for athletes or coaches or even fan bases to, you know, hold themselves accountable. If a player, you know, demands the attention, they want that player to then, you know, take the the good and the bad. If you want the attention, don't shy away, right, when the negative attention comes your way. We saw a lot of this kind of play out recently in terms of Kyrie. Kyrie would talk about how, yo, I just want to be a player. I just want to play a basketball all the while wearing his Uncle Drew hat after, you know, releasing this movie last summer, right? And on that level, I agree. You know, we all need to be held accountable for our actions and what we say. But one thing that kind of turned me off about a lot of sport, one of the many reasons, right, about our current um, day and age in terms of sports commentary is that the people giving out hot takes on a daily basis, they'll say something ridiculous get proven wrong and then pretend like they didn't like they weren't wrong. Like they didn't just say what they did. It happens all the time. And you know, you hear the excuses. Oh, well I'm talking for three hours a day, five days a week. Of course I'm going to get things wrong. Yada, yada, yada. No, no. I like consistency. If we're going to demand our athletes, our, our coaches, our fan bases, like our actors are all the people who that we, we, we spend a lot of time talking about and thinking about and having arguments and conversations with our friends about. And we're going to, to demand accountability from then. We got to also hold ourselves to that same standard, if not higher. So in lieu of that, as I try to provide a platform in, a, in an environment in which the sports talk that I give is something that I would want to hear, I, I owe a few mea culpas. Right? Because that's only fair. I can't jump out here all the time talking how I talk. And then when I get proven wrong, or at least potentially be proven wrong, I kind of do what I don't like in the people I once listened to. You know what I mean? So because of that, I'm sitting, speaking to all of you, issuing a mea culpa 
to one John Gruden. My cousin was on this show X amount of months back when the Raiders started trading everyone away. And I really didn't mind the Amari Cooper trading because, you know, I was wrong about Amari Cooper. He, he turned out to be a better player, a much more impactful player than I thought he was in Oakland or Los Angeles or wherever the hell that team will be playing. But I was super critical about Khalil Mack, and I am still critical about the trade of Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack showed you that he is one of the transformative players in the NFL. It doesn't take long to see how dominant he is. I thought he wouldn't be an MVP candidate, but his play, he wasn't an MVP candidate because of the position and how the rules and how people who cover the sport, um, how they rank the importance of the defensive position. But without question, he was one of the five most impactful players in the league, and I feel a strong MVP candidate. So I thought, you know what? Gruden was out of his mind. Trading Khalil Mack, man, You when you get a player like that, you pay them. And my cousin correctly was like, oh, man, you know, we got to give him time. He's getting a lot of assets for Khalil Mack. He didn't want to pay Khalil Mack this amount of money. Boom, boom, boom. We got to see what he does. And my counter to that was, you know what? We've seen what, how he drafts because in Tampa, he never drafted well. And how do you rectify that? Well, you just don't draft them. You use some of the picks that you got to get a player who's better than another player that you sent out in Amari Cooper. And I have to, you know, tip my cap to John Gruden because while I think trading Khalil Mack was wrong, swapping out Amari Cooper for Antonio Brown is, is a masterful power play. I mean, masterful. And that doesn't even factor in all the other picks that they got, including that first that they got for uh, Cooper. They got, in my opinion, the second best wide receiver and didn't give up a first-round pick. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's nuts. That is that is playing three-dimensional chess. And that those type of moves are what enables a team to kind of swing from being a bottom feeder to a, medio a mediocre team or being a mediocre team to a legit contender. Now, I y'all know my feelings about the wide receiver position, and we're going to get to that shortly but they without a doubt upgraded that position in a matter of months and when you do the math they still have a first round pick like that's masterful that is a masterful move master strokes move and i have to tip my hat to john gruden because i didn't think he had it in him and when I look at what the Raiders are doing and what the Raiders are trying to build as they are right in front of this huge move, as they prepare themselves to this move to Las Vegas, I'm intrigued and I am willing to shoot some bail to Gruden and Mayock and the entire Raiders organization because I still do have questions about their defense. I definitely still have questions about David Carr. But they've got pieces to play with. Pieces that thus far have improved at least their offensive side. They without 
no matter how you feel about Antonio Brown, no matter how you feel about how he, how he, um, how he voiced his displeasure with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger, there is no doubt that he is one of the. Again, I got DeAndre Hopkins number one, AB number two. You may not have it in that order, but you don't go three or four spots without naming AB. And they got him for a third round pick and in, in other in pieces. And they had more than enough pieces to get this deal done, another deal done if they want, while still addressing through the draft. We'll see how it all plays out. But I can't sit here. I can't sit here and talk to you all without making that point perfectly clear. I was wrong thus far about John Gruden. And if you are a Raider fan, if you are a football fan in Las Vegas, there is a lot to be excited about. But I don't know who is more excited when it comes to the NFL than Cleveland Browns fans. So while I give you all my mea culpa, while I say I was wrong, issue my apology, if you will, for the first part of the first quarter. Oh, make sure I've stretched my shoulder blades out. My triceps are warm. I am ready to pat myself on the back. I was watching. I was on Twitter looking at my page when the Odell Beckham news broke. And I was like, yo, the Browns are really going for it. The Browns are legit going for it. And then, you know, that, that happened on a Monday night and then Tuesday or Tuesday night and then Wednesday morning, all the shows and all the, the hot takers come out. And I saw a few people make mention of Sashi Brown. And y'all, y'all got to understand, I felt like a father. Well, I am a father, but y'all know what I mean. I, I felt like a, you know, a proud sense of, oh, they're finally getting it. Now, I'm not saying the people, the hot takers the, the, on the high platforms are listening to this podcast, but this is something that I have been talking about for months now. And I believe it was Damian Woody tweeted out, so is Sashi Brown the Sam Hankey of the NFL? And I saw that tweet and I was like, yo, slowly but surely y'all are coming to see things our way. We got round ball rock back on television. Unfortunately, it's not with the NBC sports RSNs, but it's with college basketball. I don't, it doesn't move me the way it once did. I still feel it was a, a missed opportunity for the NBC sports network. But we talked about the XFL before the XFL talked about coming back. All of these things we've been on the forefront of. And now it looks like Sashi Brown is starting to get his praise and his due. If you are Sashi Brown, you got to be feeling like trash right now, bro. Because so you took the bullets. You you walked so Dorsey could run, you know. Dorsey's going to get all of the praise and all of the acclaim. And that's fine. I'm not even mad at that. But Sashi ran through a wall, got so many picks, got so many young, talented players as well. And now they're all developing at the same time. And now they pounced on an opportunity. It's nuts when you think that Amari Cooper was traded for a first round pick. Antonio Brown was what for a third in pieces. And Odell Beckham, another guy, if you're ranking the top four wide receivers in the game, 
I'm not saying Odell's number one. He may be number four, but he's in the top four. He gets traded for a first, a player, and what was it, a, a third round pick? Odell's significantly better than Amari Cooper. And you can make the case that Antonio Brown is significantly better than Odell. We do have age to factor in. But when you look at what the Raiders got and what they had to give up and compare it to what they got for Cooper and what the Browns got for Odell, again, tip of the cap to John Gruden. But again, let's focus back on the Browns. Sashi Brown accumulated assets and he was like, yo, we're not going to win. And that's fine. We're just going to run out our space, get picks for that. We'll take Osweiler, get picks. And we're going to draft and we're going to keep on drafting. And we're not going to reach for a quarterback. Everybody was like, oh, man, you could have took me. Uh, take this guy. Take Wentz. Take Goff. They could have took Deshaun Watson, but they got Miles Garrett. And hey, who doesn't think that's a great pick? And they waited. They were disciplined. They were patient. They got the quarterback that they wanted. And now that they got the quarterback who came to them when they already had a nice foundation, they already had a good defense, they already had some runners. Hell, I completely forgot they got Kareem Hunt. We're going to talk about that a little bit later because there does seem to be some inconsistencies when you look about how vociferous everybody was when, the, when Washington signed Ruben Foster. I haven't heard much of anything about Cleveland signing Kareem Hunt. I completely forgot about that. And now they get Odell Beckham. That is going to be an exciting, fun team to watch. They've got characters. They've got charisma. They've got excitement all up and down their roster. Not just offensively, but on defense as well. So that's all the positives. But I still remain the same. Every, when you trade up for a wide receiver, when you pick up a wide receiver, everybody gets the buzz. Everybody starts talking because wide receivers are, again, some of the most charismatic, some of the most exciting players on the football field. But how much do they really change? Like how impactful are the receivers? We know how impactful they are for your fantasy team. We know how impactful they are for maybe a singular game. But when it comes to winning, eh, I understand getting Odell to Cleveland is fun. And I understand that fan base is rabid and they are excited about what's to come. But I don't know if I'm all the way down with that trade from Cleveland's side. Because, yes, Odell Beckham is an amazing talent. He's a fantastic wide receiver. But there was a reason why just a few weeks back, everybody was, not everybody, but many people were talking about Julian Edelman being a Hall of Fame caliber player. And they always go back to look at his playoff numbers. His playoff numbers stand above many, many receivers that are significantly better than him. And there's the main, well, the two reasons for that. Number one, Tom Brady. Number two, Julian Edelman is in the playoffs every year and he's having long playoff runs. The best, the elite wide receivers don't get to say that. The wide receiver, the wide receiver position is all fluff 
all style, sometimes very little substance. It's fun to have a wide receiver. Like, it's fun to have a Porsche, I'm assuming. But you're not really driving your Porsche like that unless you're living in some exotic, you know, some exotic land or terrain where there's a lot of windy and cur- So if you're living in, in Spain or in Italy, boom, Greece, have fun. Those winding, curvy roads, you show off your handles and the speed. But if you got a Porsche and you living in New York City, man, what, what are you really doing? What are you really doing driving a Porsche in D.C. where potholes are every two minutes? That's what having a wide receiver is. Having a Porsche when you live off the grid, driving off terrain. Good luck. Because attention, yo, having a Porsche is like living in a, or having a great wide receiver is like living in a hood with potholes all around. If you do drive it, you're going to tear it up. And if you don't, if you just park it, all eyes are on your Porsche. So you know what time it is. It's exciting to be a Browns fan. But now everybody's expecting big things from you. And I start to say that you guys can't deliver on those expectations. But the weighing process is over. You guys were able to flip the assets that Sashi Brown gave you. And now you have a young core, a young, exciting core. If the Browns are to finally make a leap to respectability into a legit championship contention, I don't think it's going to be because of Odell. I think it's going to be because of that defense. I think it's going to be because Baker Mayfield continues to develop. And I think it's going to be because of a, of a certain identity and a certain discipline that they continue to move forward with. If Odell Beckham, who is an amazing football player and a player that I enjoy a great deal, if he contributes to that, that's even better. But we're now a decade plus into this where top-notch receivers don't help you win in the playoffs. I'm not so certain that Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown, or Amari Cooper change that narrative. If you guys think I'm wrong, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show, or you can email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. All right, guys, so that's quarter number one, maybe the biggest story as it pertains to the biggest sports league in this country. But my favorite story possibly ever is how we follow up with our second topic this week. Second quarter. Yo, Aunt Becky done lost her damn mind. This story is so funny. It's so poignant. It's like, you know how when they say sometimes life is stranger than fiction, you know? This is exactly one of those moments. I'm in the barber shop when this story breaks. CNN flashing animation, boom, boom, boom. So, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, the Manafort trial is tomorrow. Maybe there's something else. Or, you know, somebody, Joe Biden, decided that he's finally going to throw his name in the presidential race for 2020 officially. All these things when I see the breaking news animation on CNN. And they tell me, okay, 12 people have been indicted, you know, or arrested in this sting for faking SAT scores to high price uh, 
uh, colleges and, you know, athletics scandal, da 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 So I instantly, and I'm sure most sports fans, when they see or when they heard the initial kind of release on these stories, your mind goes straight to, okay, bong, Kentucky or Duke basketball or maybe Alabama football or Michigan football, big time, high, you know, high level athletic schools being caught up selling SAT scores. That's exactly where my mind went. Cause I was like, yo, this is beyond absurd right here, but okay. We all know the NCAA is big business. You know, they're, they're the mafia, you know what I'm saying? Like they just make so much money. They have so much influence and they, and we all know about it yet. No one does anything about it. So that's where my mind went. I'm thinking bong. Duke basketball, this is it for one and done. Or football, one of these big-time football programs may get the death penalty. So then they go to a commercial break, and then all of a sudden I start seeing the names Lori Lachlan and, you know, uh, I don't even know the other lady's name. And they were like these A-list celebrities, these big-time celebrities. And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea who either one of these women are. And then they show Aunt Becky, and I'm like, yo, Aunt Becky is doing SATs for Johnny Manziel or Zion Williamson. What's going on? Because, again, I'm still under the impression that this is big-time athletics because they say these big-time schools. I'm not thinking Yale. And then the next commercial break comes back, and then we find out that it's Yale and Georgetown and Stanford that are being kind of hooked by this scandal, if you will, this bribery scandal. And then at that moment, I'm like, none of this makes sense. And then I see, okay, X amount of millions of dollars, 20 some odd millions of dollars by this one guy who was kind of the head of this ring. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on. How does this plan make sense, right? If your child can't go to Yale, right? And look, there's nothing... I can't get, I couldn't have gotten to Yale. I wouldn't even have tried, right? There is no shame in not being able to academically get into Yale. But if you cannot get into Yale, you need to bribe and cheat to get a test. That first day, what the, how do we envision that day going? That first day you were at Yale taking whatever course you're taking. The first time you open your mouth, everybody's looking at you like, okay, hold on, Slim. <laughs> he ain't it. This ain't it. I'm thinking to myself, yo, how, who made this plan? How was Aunt Becky tied up into this rinky-dink kind of <laughs> paper mache type plan? Who thought of that? This other lady who's apparently... Is, has been, is married to William H. Macy. And I'm not saying like William H. Macy is, you know, deserves higher praise in this regard, but I don't know who she is and I know who William H. Macy is. I'm just thinking, how are these two actresses <laughs> bribing these schools to get in? And then they say, yo, also they lied about their athletic accomplishments. And then this, this is when it went to the land of absurd, right? This is when this became... A sketch comedy like I wish Chappelle's show was still going on because that joint when I found out that not only were they lying on the SAT and ACT tests they were also just completely making up athletic accomplishments and I'm thinking 
How hot are y'all Bama's? You know, you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to, to get, in, get a test into a school. Half the time, these kids, uh, Becky's daughter got on, they, they, they uncovered her social media. And she's talking about, man, I don't even want to go to school. I'm not good at school. Da, da, da. I'm thinking slim. How much does the dollar get you in this country? You can just fake a test and then make up a complete fabricated background in athletics. <laughs> can you imagine that? So me and my barber at the time, because all of this is happening in real time, and we just cracking jokes. We laughing, dog. Like, you think we watching a comedy special. Just dying laughing. And we talking about, yo, these bombers probably got Photoshopped, fake, you know, cut their head and put it on someone's body, and sure enough, bong. That's exactly what some of them did. Can you imagine? Because obviously the head coaches or, you know, managers or whatnot, they knew about it. Imagine being an assistant head coach at Georgetown. You don't have the, the nice cushy job. You you try to move up the ladder. You know, and you have this one student, this, you know, four-star, five-star recruit in soccer or lacrosse. And the head coach is like, yo, yo, we got to play him or her. We got to play her. And the assistant coach is looking around like, Slim, we can't play her. She's trash. How did we get hurt? This is Georgetown. This is Yale. Top schools in those, you know, specific sports. Just bad. You know what I'm saying? Somebody who's so uncoordinated, can't run at the same time. All of a sudden, is this is starting for one of the top lacrosse programs in the nation. And the assistant coaches are looking around being like, yo, is coach tripping or what? <laughs> That's where my mind went initially. Because I'm thinking... For them, for, for them to finally get brought down, somebody had to give it up. And that somebody had to be an assistant coach who was thinking, I'm not losing my job off of this. Slim, who thought of that? Yo, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have somebody take this test for you. You give it to me and we'll get your child in. It's just going to cost you about, I don't know, 400 large. And then word of mouth spreads. We got Yale, Wake Forest, Slim. <laughs> Yo, I'm not knocking. If you're listening to this show and you want to wait, this is not a disrespect to you nor to your school. Very good school. But on the list of accomplishments, if you're going to scam your, if I'm spending 400K, and upwards to get my child into a school that they cannot get into, I'm not spending nothing to get in the Wake Forest. If somebody's paying $600,000 to get their child into Yale, what I look like spending $400,000 to get my child into Wake Forest? <laughs> Yo, hey, this is, how, this is how I know. We've got first world problems. We are lying to get our, our child, children who have no desire to, to be scholars, at least not at this moment. You got so much bread that you are willing to put your child in the school that you know that they cannot succeed in. They have no desire to go to. Just off GP? The game is rigged. Shout out to 
Marla Daniels. The game is rigged, Slim. You have children. Parents busting their tail. Children doing the best that they can do. Scoring so high. Doing so much. Doing so well. Can't afford to go to Yale. We all know what time it is. You go to a job with a degree that says Yale on it. Bomb. Secret society. All we ask is trust. You got super talented, smart children who bust their tail, who actually want to do well and to strive and to, to be at school and to better themselves educationally, right? Academically. We actually have people like that who, who can't afford to go to these top-notch schools, who go to state schools. Or you'll have to go to a community college and to work themselves up, get their associates, then they get their bachelor's, and then do what else they have to do. Have no, you know, financially, just don't have it to go to Yale or the Harvard's, or the Stanford's, right? Georgetown, super expensive. And these members don't have a shot because mom was an actress on Full House. What? Dog, it is insane. We are currently living, it's called the information age. But when, if the world doesn't burn and the ice capsule just melts and floods the entire globe. Generations from now, they are going to look back at this quote unquote information age and think they were all so stupid. We just got dumb money, literally dumb money. Send our kids who can't succeed at a school just to fit dog. People who can go to Yale, they OD in because it's no joke. You go to Stanford, you have all these children trying to keep up because it's tough. And everybody's not cut from that. And that's okay. That's not a knock on anyone. Because I'm not cut from that. But my parents won't go and be like, hey, Armand can't get into Yale. Let's just write this check real quick. And even if we had the bread to do it, they wouldn't do it. Because that's stupid. We got stupid money. People have had money so long, they've got no common sense. I could do a whole damn show on this segment, bro. But y'all heard the horn, so I'm going to keep on moving. But this story, if you don't think this story was funny, you have no sense of humor. Or your parents cheated to get your ass in whatever college you went to. Either one. Either you're lame as hell or your parents are lame as hell. You make the choice. But that story had me rolling this week. Never in a million years. Too, so many people in this country have so much money. They don't know what to do with it. But you know what? This story was so funny. I figured it is it is tailor-made for a halftime. So that's what we're going to do for halftime this week. Because I, I mentioned the assistant coaches, right? Because in my opinion, that's how this whole thing had to crumble. The assistant coach's job was on the line. He was like, dog, this child is not good enough to be starting over everybody else or getting playing time over all these other children. The parents just made up their, their, their children's athletic accomplishments. But imagine being one of the students who did deserve a spot on the athletic team, right? And then at practice, they're cooking these children who come with the highly regarded, this made up background in academics and, and athletics. Imagine being one of the children on the teams who is crushing 
the 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 student athletes with the made up background. Imagine how those phone calls or those letters are to your friends and to your parents back home. It give you such a uh, inflated self worth, which could be problematic in and of itself. That's halftime this week. Take a listen. Hi, mom. Just writing you to let you know how school is going. You know, classes are tough, but I have some great professors who are really pushing me. I think I'm doing really well in psych now. All those tutors have helped. And thank you for the words of encouragement. Also, me and Katie, we're getting strong. I really, really like this girl. Um, so, you know, possibly I'll be heading home and introducing you to her face to face. I'm mainly writing you to let you know about how well I'm doing in basketball. You know, all the practice hours have finally worked off. You know, walking on was really hard, and I know it took a lot of time and energy to, to get on, and I didn't really think that I would get much playing time, but I don't know, I feel like things may be changing. Not that I'm getting time now, but in practice, I'm crushing this new five-star recruit. Man, I don't remember what his name is, but his parents are the lady from Desperate Housewives and the guy from Shameless. Hell, he even showed me a picture of him dunking on Zion. Zion Williamson, that is, and it's a bit strange because he's actually shorter than you and can't really jump. I actually haven't seen him touch the rim during practice, but whatever. Anyway, like I said, he's a five-star recruit from California, and I'm cooking him during practice. I mean, I beat him in one-on-one, -on -one, 13 to nothing, every single time. It's really starting to build my confidence, and Mom, I'm thinking about transferring. Yeah, I know, I just told you how I'm doing really well in school, but me playing this five-star recruit and beating him so badly makes me think that I have a chance at the pros. So I'm actually gonna switch schools and try to do a one-and-done situation where I put my name into the draft. I know I haven't played a single second for the school, but again, I'm amazing in practice. All right, Mom, just wanted to let you know Hopefully you're not too mad, but again, I love you. You know, that story is nuts, man. And there's just so many avenues that you could go. You know what I mean? Imagine a kid who justifiably got to playing on a team. Doesn't matter the sport. And they they end up competing against this guy, this child who's been built up as this legit athletic superstar. Yo, they were using Photoshop, copying and pasting people's faces on top of athletes. So imagine being the person who's trying so hard just, just to get a spot on the roster. Forget about playing, but just to keep whatever dream of athletic accomplishments that they can have. And then when they're in practice, they're crushing this person who doesn't belong. <laughs> Yo, man, this old Judd is nuts. Yo, we've got some of the strangest stories this week. And that one was just the tip of the iceberg. We talked about it in the halftime, but we're going to keep the show moving with our third story this week. Another story of just out of the mind actions by someone who doesn't necessarily belong in the athletic field of play. It's our third topic this week. We've all heard now about Russell Westbrook's encounter with a jazz fan in Salt Lake City. And, you know, people have taken to this story and ran with it you know to to talk all types of other uh issues that kind of are parallel to this story but i'm not going to use this specific topic to talk about 
racism or talk about the dynamics of Utah or even to discuss the league's um, stance or the league's responsibility, in my opinion, to protect the players from fans who do get out of line. If you've been to any sporting event, but specifically a basketball one, because the crowd is so close to the players, right? In baseball, you're, you're feet away, sometimes hundreds of feet away, depending on your seats from the player. In football, same, same thing. And it's so loud that, yeah, on the sidelines, maybe a few fans can, can talk to them. But in a basketball game, fans are literally right on top of the players. When they play, when they're on the bench, coaches can hear them. The people at the, the scorer's table can hear. And as it pertains specifically to Utah, we have heard now for decades how that specific city has some really incendiary comments when it comes from some of their fan bases, right? We've heard it from players who've never met each other, players who've never played against each other. It's been that long and that consistent of the criticism. Now, I'm not here to criticize the entire fan base of the Utah Jazz, to criticize the entire city of Salt Lake City, you know. But there's an issue here. And that's where I choose to focus this quarter. Because I have long since believed that getting your ass kicked at some point in your life is beneficial. And when I say getting your ass kicked, I'm not talking about getting beat up, but like literally getting your ass beat. But having been punched in the mouth, doing something out of line, and then realizing, bong, there is an immediate physical consequence. Some of the most well-adjusted people that I know, myself included, used to scrap. I'm not talking about fighting just to fight. Look, I'm not saying that violence is the answer. No, 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 no. Daddy, please don't understand. Please don't think that that's the point I'm trying to make now. However, if at some point in your life, and for me and most of the people that I uh, associate myself with and the people that I respect, you know, it was in the teenage years, end of middle school, early high school. You know, there's an influx of testosterone, influx of self-independence and self-identity, right? And all this stuff is circling inside young bodies. And so from time to time, you, you, you went on out of it, right? You settled the score. But because at an early age, before things get too violent, become before things get too, you know, serious, you get a little scrap in school, you say something out of bounds, somebody may respond. And then you quickly learn, okay, I can't just do whatever I want to do. You know? I liken it to when you're a child. There's some people who when they're told, don't touch the stove, it's hot, that's all they need to know. That's all they need to hear. Okay, mom, dad told me not to touch the stove because it's hot and it can burn. However, there's always going to be people who don't listen. They need to experience. They can't just take anyone's word for it. They have to do it themselves. And guess what happens? The moment they touch that hot stove, they know now for the rest of their lives, nah, we're not ever going to touch a hot stove. It's the same thing. 
There is no way in my there's no way in my mind that I feel like if that dude had been in a fight before in his life, that you would think it's appropriate to say ridiculous things to any human being, let alone a human being at the peak physical condition. Like Russell Westbrook is, let alone someone in physical condition at their job. I'm serious about this. The Bamas who was at the Bamas at the Palace, and then, you know that's that's what everybody's reaching to. Oh my God, the NBA they gotta they gotta come down on hard on Russell Westbrook not to have a Malice of the Palace. And I'm sure some of you guys have heard this take before, so I'll keep it short. The Malice in the Palace was a necessary thing to happen. You just can't go running around throwing drinks on people. <laughs> you know, like, imagine driving past a police officer who's pulling someone over. And, you know, some people have strong feelings about the police on both sides of the spectrum. Imagine someone just throwing their drink at a police officer while they're working. You know what's going to happen. Go get your ass whooped. You don't just go to someone's job. Go to the grocery store. Someone's... You know, at the counter, at the register, scanning the groceries. Throw your drink at them. You are going to get your ass kicked because you missed that vital step in your life when you were 14 years old. I'm serious about this. I know y'all, I don't even, like, it's it's funny, but I'm serious. I remember, no lie, one of my last uh, full-time jobs. I'm at this network, and, you know, they had a ping-pong table. And they were like, oh, you know, we're going to have a ping-pong table to to kind of lift the spirits and we're going to be have this, you know, a fun atmosphere and all this other stuff. It, it was almost as if they went to some type of conference and they saw what was going on in Silicon Valley. So they wanted to do something what they thought was cool. Some 50, 60 year old person was like, yo, we're just going to put a ping pong table in the workplace. Not knowing the people who worked at their, you know, they had no clue about their own employees because the Bamas who went, to play ping pong all the time were the people who weren't working most of the time. There were a few exceptions. But people got distracted. Bamas was playing ping pong during meetings. and It was like, Slim, what? And I wrote a note. I was like, you know what I want? You know what I think would be beneficial? Get some gloves and get some pads and a, and a head, and some head gear. And I seriously was like, yo, 30 to 60 seconds. It doesn't need to be long. Nobody's trying to hurt each other. But you need to do something because there were so many people at that job who just who had no respect for personal space, personal boundaries and didn't know how to talk to people. So I was like, you know what? This is something that I think people in Silicon Valley may have missed. Have a 30 to 60 second scrap session right before. If there's a problem, if you got an issue with somebody, talk to them, done the work. Second time y'all get in a nice little circle, put the gloves on. And scrap for 30 seconds to 60 seconds and get it out your system. You have to write up why you did it. The whole nine, man. Make sure make it as legitimate and as, you know, professional as possible. And then you let that you let that person know why they need not to do whatever they have been doing again. And I stand by that, Joe. That may sound crazy. But then ask yourself this: how many people at your current job? Is one of the, the 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 lunch scavengers who go through and eat other people's food. That person missed the ass kicking in high school. How was the person who always interrupts and pretends like they don't hear other people speaking? You could be having a conversation with someone else 
about anything, whether it's personal or professional at your job, and someone always intersects and just jumps into your conversation to speak about anything that they feel without a, as much of an excuse me. Guess what? That person missed the punch to the chest. You can go down the list. And it's, and it's going to continue this way because now kids don't fight. Kids don't know how to fight. Because now they just go for the two. That's what I'm saying. We just miss all that. So there's a generation of people who don't fight because they just go for the tool. Maybe they got a big brother or uncle or somebody who has fought and has a certain level of reputation. And on the, end, the other end of the spectrum, there are other people who don't fight because they are afraid that every time you get in a fight, someone's going to, to reach. So now we have created this environment where people just speak to people or act a certain way without any fear of consequence. And when they grow up, they go to Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. This is another thing that I think is extremely important as it pertains to the NBA. I am 6'4", about 240. Russell Westbrook is 6'4", probably 225 of all muscle. If I walk down the street, nobody's going to mess with me. Because I'm not around a bunch of 7 feet, 6'9", 285 guys, right? So people get in their mind that Russell Westbrook is a little man. But in reality, he is towering over everybody that you probably know. We just talked about kind of a false sense of, of, uh, of importance in the halftime. This dude chilling with his wife probably has never been in a fight in his life. Is looking at Russell Westbrook while he is sitting down, doesn't have a full appreciation or respect for him, clearly when you unearth, when everyone unearthed his tweets, and feels that he can say whatever he wants without fear of retribution or consequence. And I'm like, no. Somebody, that dude who talked to Russell Wilson that way missed out on handfuls of ass kickings from middle school to high school, possibly in college. And I, and I truly believe that's, that's what happened there. And just like in the Malice of the Palace, hell, we saw it with Marquise Chris, someone who's a professional basketball player. He was probably somebody who, because he's tall, nobody ever really scrapped with him. And we saw it all, I think it was the same day. He, he did something to Serge Ibaka. I don't know what he did to Serge Ibaka. Slim, let me break it down to you. There are three to four types of people that I never, I don't fight anymore. I haven't fought in a, uh, over a decade. I'm not ever trying to fight again. I, I just don't want to. I fought more than my fair share when I was in high school and middle school. Like, I used to scrap a lot. I'm not trying to do that anymore. You know what I mean? But in my fighting days and as, a, as an adult man now, there are about four groups of people that I don't ever want to fight in my life. Number one on that list is anyone who knows martial arts or now MMA. You fight somebody, I, I, that's another thing. You learn discipline. Because you could be the guy who's sizing people up thinking that you the baddest dude on the street and you pick the wrong one. And somebody roundhouse kick you in the back of your head and you fall out in front of everybody. Never wanted to step with a, a, a martial artist and now an MMA guy grab you by the forearm and before you know it, 
you know, you comatose. You going to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Nah, don't do that. Those are the first two. Number three, I'm not messing with anybody from Eastern Europe, Western Asia. Any of the Kazakhstans, Azistans, you know, the Balk, none of that. Anything that used to be a part of the old US, nah, nah. You, if you lived in Serbia, I'm not messing with you, ever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've seen Ruslan Provotnikov. You can hit him with a baseball bat. He just keeps on coming. No, sir. Not messing with any of them. And lastly, you got to be out your damn mind to fight somebody from the Congo. From the Congo? Dog, y'all saw Serge, man. Serge didn't even push him. He didn't even grab him. The first thing Serge went for is the choke. I've never seen anybody when they scrapped. Chris didn't even put his hands on him. He stepped over him, looked at him crazy, probably said something out of line. Serge got up. He didn't try to fake with the push or point fingers or nothing. He just went straight to the choke. Yo, who does that? And you know, added on that list because everybody started talking about Serge. Like, yo, he faked up. Nah, you don't ever want to fight Ron Artest either. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the five. Those, that's the list of people you don't ever want to scrap. And Marquise Chris probably missed out on a handful of beatings and fights in his life. So he, he didn't learn that lesson. Just like the child who didn't learn the stove lesson. He learned when Serge Ibaka's hands was wrapped around his neck. And that fan in Utah, he going to learn a lesson now on the highest stage. They know his name. They've seen his tweets. I think he lost his job. Boom. Because when you were 17 or when you was in the, you know, a freshman in high school, somebody didn't do their, their God-given right to go to his body a few times. Because you know, you know he said something slick to somebody when he was in school. Karma comes back to you. So I'm with it. 30 to 60 second rounds at your job. For the people who missed the fights in high school. It's okay. Nothing really bad is going to happen. Get your lip bloody. Get an ice pack. The same way everybody had to do when they were a teenager. Because it's vital. If you don't know that you are crossing lines, you will continue to do so. And as we age, oh, the line crossing jumps, leaps, and bounds. Ass kickings around. That dog, if I was Beto, Biden... You know, that's that's my campaign slogan. Ass kickings around. Yeah, there's somebody else who probably missed an ass kicking when they were younger. And now look at look at how he's running things. You feel me? Get that one punch in your face. Get that one real hard punch to your nose. You know, where you got to take a knee. You learn real quick. Okay, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a great life lesson. Trust me. Do a poll. Find out the people who you're close to. The most well-adjusted people probably used to get in fights when they were young. And they stopped because they learned. Not, again, not that fighting solves everything. But there does need to be a real understanding before you turn into an adult. Okay, these are real immediate consequences. Not just mental or emotional, but they are physical consequences for some of my actions. Nip that joint in the butt real quick. If y'all disagree, I know there's some hippies. Matter of fact, I got some fans. 
one of the dopest things about doing this podcast stuff, there's so many, you know, sites and different resources available that you can find out who listens and when and what days and what times and which episodes. I've got a, a, a interesting fan base in Utah, listenership in Utah. So shout out to y'all in Utah, you know, keep it funky. I love y'all. I would love to hear y'all takes on this because, you know, the fan base is coming under attack. And I know there's some hippies out there listening to this show like, oh, no, you can't solve a violence. I'm not saying solve everything with violence, but I am saying if you would have got punched in the mouth when you was 13 by a peer, right? Not by an adult, but by a peer, you probably have a better understanding of how and what to do and how to act around others. But I'm open for the discussion because I know the disagreements are coming my way. So send them over. Tweet at me at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E report at gmail.com. Dog, my closest friends, family, I know they used to scrap because they're respectful. You know what I mean? I, 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 man, I stand by this. I stand by it. Do it at your job tomorrow. Listen to this podcast tonight. Go to work tomorrow. And see if you can find out the people at your job who probably didn't get in a fight when they were high school or middle school. It's easy to see. It's easy to spot. Guaranteed. All right, guys. We are three quarters down, meaning we've got one quarter left. And this week, we're going to end the, stroll, end the show, easy for me to say, end the show off strong with my guest, Wally Akinzo. Fourth Joining me this week for the fourth quarter. My guy, Wally Akinzo, man, he's the host of the Urban Sports Scene Podcast. Make sure you guys download and subscribe on Twitter, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. You know, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, to get to know you over the past few months or whatever, man. And, you know, really inspired by how you get down and how you do your show and how you handle certain topics. Definitely has been an inspiration for me and the podcast. And, you know, just great to have you back on the show, bro. No, Armand, you've been way too nice to me, man. Way too nice. I look at, you know what I mean? I listen to your show, and I'm like, man, how can we be like Armand? Like, you know what I mean? How can we be like the quarterly report? You know what I'm saying? Like, you got the sound bites, you got everything. You know what I mean? You got the ad list. We love it, man. Me and Ray talk about it all the time. We check out your podcast. Oh, man. Nah, it's all good, man. You, you know, I love the show, man. You and Ray do a hell of a job. Um, you know, I, again, I've been inspired by you guys. I try to listen and, and see what works and, you know, try to make it into my own with my pod. But, um, you know, you and I have talked about this both on my show, your show, and just in personal. You know, D.C. is such a rich and vibrant and uh, diverse area. And, you know, there's so many, you know, creative minds and, you know, independent thinkers. But unfortunately, when it comes to sports, there's a almost a monolithic approach. There's not a wide variety of ideas and, and um, you know, intelligent discussion, I feel, often and. You know, so that's one of the reasons why I admire you and all the other people who who do the the independent thing, man. Because I feel, you know, and we're going to get to talking about boxing in a second, but just in terms of ideas and certain topics, no one is speaking for. Or there just doesn't seem to be a um, an avenue to touch everybody in D.C. when it comes to sports talk, man. And you know, there's a, it's you know, it's a, oh. It's a, a waste, really, when you think of just how many differing opinions there are on so many different topics, and there seems just to be kind of a monopoly on the platforms in the area. Yeah, I love it. I like that's why I like talking to you um, and many other things, and most importantly you, because we can have a debate and it's, it's on social media or in person, right? 
and we may not right. agree, but you know, it makes sense. It's not like we're yelling at each other, or you know, we're just trying to impose our will right. in the situation. But it's more like you know, two intelligent individuals having a great discussion. Yeah, I love it. I love you. I'm one of my favorite people on social media to talk to. Likewise, bro. But now that we got the pleasantries out the way, let's get to the topics. It's been a wild week. We've been talking about some of the crazy sports topics thus far on the show, but we're going to regroup and get back to the number one topic, which was NFL free agency. Um, I kind of touched on, you know, the Odell Beckham trade, the Antonio Brown trade earlier, but I want to localize it and go to the Burgundy and Gold. Um, I by no means am a Washington fan, but I do have to give credit where credit is due. I think thus far they've had a very calculated a very savvy uh and disciplined offseason obviously the landon collins signing is the biggest of the moves that they've made thus far but you know i have been a fan of what washington has done and how they are trying to position themselves as a um i don't know a respected consistent nfl organization so my first question to you is how do you break down Washington's offseason thus far, specifically the Case Keenum trade and the signing of Landon Collins. I will start with the Case Keenum. Um, the, uh, initially, I was annoyed by the, the the whole signing of Case Keenum because I'm not a big fan of Case Keenum as a quarterback. Um, he played well in Minnesota, but he had two of the best wide receivers in the game, the Phantom, and Stephon Diggs and uh, Adam Thielen. Um, but when you look at the contract and how it broke, how it breaks down, how it breaks down, and knowing that. You know, the skins are kind of strapped at the quarterback position because of the Alex Smith contract, the Alex Smith injury. Um, getting a starting, getting a starting caliber quarterback for $3.5 million on that, on that, on that uh, 2019 season deal is, is pretty good. So right. looking at that, looking at that, that, that is, ends up being a good deal for the skins. So I'm not mad at that anymore. I'm actually, by di- after dissecting it, I'm not mad at it anymore. Now looking at Landon Collins, this is something that's totally big for the skins. Um, the Skins have been very frugal in free agency over the last some odd years. Um, being right. with Bruce Allen, Bruce Allen, that that being this thing, being more cap, being more um, focused on how to, you know, ma- maximize, you know, his the dollars on certain players, right, or getting bargain players. Right. Um, but getting a Landon Collins is something that's big. It shows the fan base and it shows uh, the Redskins players that you know what we're trying to win and we're trying to win now. Uh, you look at teams. You know, a lot of people talk about yeah, you can't you can't win by you know going hard in free agency. But look at what the the, the Rams did in free agency last exactly. year. And they got the Super Bowl, right? I mean, they got they got Cooks, they got Dominic Sue. You know what I mean? Like they got um, right. I'm sorry, Talib. They got um, Peters, one of my favorite yeah. players because he keeps it real. Like they got all these players outside of saying their own, right? Outside the whole talk about going into the draft and drafting your own talent. Um, you, I mean, it's good to draft right, and I'm all for that drafting right. You know, um, groom your uh, groom your young talent so they can kind of be the you know the the star players, the foundation of your team. But at the end of the day, you need some high high highly motivated guns at times. And the skins, I like getting Landon Collins. It was a need, and I'm all and I think they should do more. No, I agree 100. percent Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy Wally Akinzo, host of the Urban Sports Scene podcast. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Urban Sports Scene. Make sure you guys download the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you listen to podcasts. And make sure you leave reviews, five-star reviews. You know what I mean? Not just the the stars, but also write a little note, man. Those those go a long way, man. Those are very important to us independent podcasters. So make sure you hold my guy Wally down. And I want to stick here with Washington for a second because – 
you know, it's it's funny. There's a narrative that, you know, kind of exists when it comes to Washington. And again, I'm not a Skins fan. I have no horse in the race. But it's funny when you see all the people make the, the joke, all the Skins are spending big money again. The, spins, the Skins never learned their lesson throwing money at Landon Collins, the offseason champions. Washington hasn't really spent a lot of big money in, in the offseason in quite a while. So that narrative seems to be very lazy. And when you add that, I talked about this earlier in the show as well, to the Reuben Foster situation. I completely forgot Kareem Hunt signed with the Browns. And the Reuben Foster situation was like headline news for God knows how long. Kareem Hunt came and went in what feels like a day or two with Cleveland to the point where I forgot he even played for them. Do you feel like the narrative that exists with Washington plays a part to a larger bias against the Burgundy and Gold? Yeah, definitely. Um, Ruben Foster, there's no tape on Ruben Foster, right, of doing anything, right? He's been innocent in terms of the court, in terms of the legal system, right? There's no proof that Ruben Foster done anything. And I'm not saying he did or didn't, you know what I mean? When you look at Kareem Hunt, there's video out on Kareem Hunt, but you right. barely hear anything about Kareem Hunt. Like, but Ruben Foster, how that was like the biggest story in in, in terms of the sports market in a you know nationally for like a month for like you a know? month. Like how how could the skins how could the skins get Ruben Foster? Oh my God! Not, not, even knowing that if Ruben Foster would have been like if they found out he was guilty, they would have released him anyway. You know what I mean? Like so the Redskins obviously did their research and their homework. And then and, and they got a guy who's talented, right. and they end up his the case the, the um excuse me the uh, allegations end up being dropped. So in my in my opinion, like the media should come out and apologize to like the Skins because they really looked at them like they were the worst organization ever. Right. And on the flip side, now you're looking at something else like, um, like free agency. You know, there's this whole thought process. That like when the skins got um, Landon Collins when they came out they signed him oh they were like oh here we go there goes the skins overpaying the player again I think Bill Simmons came out and said something and I'm like Bill Simmons I'm like dude are you like the new Stephen A Smith you don't do your homework anymore right like have you not seen did you not see what the skins were doing you know since since Bruce Bruce Alley came in town Bruce this team has been frugal with their money I, I mentioned that before very frugal like they haven't gotten the the high price free um, free agent. The last free agent, I mean, the last high price player they got was no, uh, Josh Norman. But usually, like when I was younger watching this team under Dan Snyder, they would get multiple flashy players in one year. Now they don't do that anymore. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Wally Akinzo, co-host of the Urban Sports Scene podcast. Every Tuesday night, you guys can listen live, stream it, and listen, download it however you do on your favorite podcast uh, platforms. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Urban Sports Scene. So, you know, we talked about the NFL. And earlier I mentioned how you and I are both huge boxing fans. And that's where we're going to start our second topic with this uh, interview. You know, it's been a long time since I've been this excited for a big time prize fight. And it's odd because I don't necessarily think this fight is going to be I don't think the who who's going to win is up for debate. I think most people kind of have an idea that Errol Spence is going to win. And I personally don't even think it's going to be very competitive. But I love what the fight, and specifically these two fighters, represent. 
two, in my opinion, two of the best five fighters in the world fighting, not avoiding each other. Mikey Garcia taking the huge challenge, huge risk to step in the ring versus a bigger man who who's a big time fighter, big time puncher. So what are your thoughts, Wally, on Saturday night's fight between Errol Spence Jr. and Mikey Garcia? What do you expect in terms of a competitive fight? And ultimately, who do you think comes out on top? I expect to see a competitive fight. Um, Mikey, I expect Mikey Garcia to come out there with a lot of heart, trying to put on a good show. But at the end of the day, um, I just expect I expect Earl Spence to just you know go tag Mikey's body, right, and you know take a lot of energy out of Mikey, and then and then eventually you know Mikey's gonna get tired off of that. And I just think you know Earl being one of the best you know I mean body punchers, one of the best boxers period in the game. And, you know, being, you know, a big welterweight, you know, I don't see Mikey really win the fight. But, again, we talked about it before, Ahmad. Um, you know, I, I I like both of these boxers. Like, I really like both of these boxers. Exactly, but, right. And I really want Earl to win. Like, my mind, I want Earl to win, but I'm going to really be rooting for Mikey. Like, because yeah. what Mikey represents. You know, because, like, Earl is, at this point in time, it's like, one of, it's like my favorite boxer in the game right now. But... Looking at Mikey, I'm really going to root for Mikey because what he represents as a boxer yep. is like he is not scared to be great, yep. you know. And it's and we talked about before. There's so many boxers they they go on social media and they act like they want to. They call somebody out. They act like they really Twitter tough fight. guys. They Twitter tough guys. They put it out there. And when the contract's coming up, they're like, "Now nah, I want to do it," and it, it don't work for me. Right. Mikey is right. taking Mikey is taking a a risk by getting himself killed in that ring. Right. And but he just wants to be great, and I can't. And he's in his prime. It's not like an Amir Khan who's desperate to be great, and he's yeah. he's go, he's at the, he's not in his prime anymore. He just wants to be at that level. But he's not in his prime. Mikey is in his prime. Where yeah. this is this could this is like uh, nobody wants an L on their record. You know what I mean? You yeah. want to be undefeated at a certain age, right? right? This Mikey Mikey has no concern for that. So I I just love Mikey, uh, but I got Earl winning. I think Earl is just with, is too good of a boxer and just too strong. Yeah, I. It's so funny. I'm so excited about this fight. I'm a huge Arrow fan, and he's definitely, if not Leo Santa Cruz, Arrow is my favorite fighter. But I love Mikey as well, man. I've been a fan of Mikey even before his little sabbatical a few years ago. He's come back better than ever, and I admire his ambition. I admire his drive while questioning how smart it is. But, you know, it's an exciting fight. Two of the best fighters in the world, in my opinion, and it's Saturday night. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guest this week, Wally Akinso, co-host of the Urban Sports Scene podcast. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Urban Sports Scene and download, subscribe to the podcast. It's really fun, really dope show. Uh, talks about a wide variety of sports with a unique twist, a twist that isn't often always given um, for us. But make sure you download, subscribe to his podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. And Wally, I gotta get you out of here with this. I know you're a Laker fan, so uh, it's been tough. Why you doing this to me, man? Why you doing this to me? <laughs> it's all love. It's all love. As a Knicks fan, bro, everything that you think is bad, I've lived it twenty times worse. Okay, so you're not getting sympathy from a Knicks fan. But back to the point. It's obviously been a bit of a disappointing season for the uh, purple and gold, but. As the regular season winds down, it seems increasingly as a probability that you all will not make the postseason. 
So after year one of this LeBron James uh, experiment, if you will, what do you think are the biggest priorities for your Lakers team this offseason? Whether it's a coaching change, uh, personnel changes, a specific player that you're eyeing in free agency or trade. How would you identify the biggest needs for this Lakers team moving forward? All right, most important, most important is the coach. Um, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going straight for it. Yeah, I'm getting out of there, man. Get him out of there. I'm getting Jason Kidd too. I'm not getting Tyron Lue because I don't think Tyron Lue is that good of a coach. I mean, right. I, I know it. I know everybody says, you know what, you know that he got LeBron and him and LeBron won a championship, and it's not easy to coach LeBron. And you know, you're not giving him enough credit. I, I look, he had an opportunity when LeBron left. He had an opportunity with Cleveland, and they still they look horrible. It wasn't that they were everybody knew it would be bad. They look horrible. So, right. so you're not that great of a coach if your team's gonna look horrible. Um, so I want I give me Jason Kidd, a guy that on every team he's been on as a coach, his teams have competed. I'm cool with that. Like I'm cool with that. That saying that your team has competed every everywhere you've been a coach. Um, then also, in terms of the players, now obviously I'm trying to AD, and I don't want. Right. And this is one thing I don't want to hear. No one who tell, no one who tells me like Kyle Kuzma is untouchable, Ingram's untouchable. Like right. I'm a ball. I like ball. I do like Lonzo. But they all can go. LeBron was out. LeBron was out for like a, a, I want to say like eight or ten games. He was out about that many games. They had an opportunity to showcase what they could do. They were horrible. Those three dudes aren't good enough right. to be over. They're lottery dudes. Understand this. LeBron is out. If you're that real, if you, if any of them are that real, you're not lottery. You can kind of tread water with that roster if you're right, that right. good. If you're that good, you're lottery. So your three. Ain't better than AD. I'm going to say that. That could be a slogan. You're three. Ain't better than AD. <laughs> I don't hear nobody tell me anything different. Like, man, Kyle Kuzma, man, he, the Lakers should keep all him. Of them go. All, all of them can go. We're talking about AD. All of them can go. But is it, I mean, obviously, I think Boston has a leg up on that. And, you know, since, you know, AD said he would sign a long term deal. If Boston's willing to trade, every, you know, trade those pieces to get AD, I think they got the leg up. Um, but, yeah, obviously, if I'm, if I'm Magic and LeBron, um, I'm trying to get AD over here in LA. If they can't get AD, um, I'm gonna try to get Vujacic out of out of uh, the Magic. I think Orlando, I think that would be yeah. a good play. Yeah, out of the Magic, I think that would be a good play. I mean, he went to USC, so he does have LA LA ties. Um, yeah, I mean, he that, that would be on my list. That'd be another one. Um, if you're gonna get rid of Lonzo Ball, obviously, if you're gonna get rid of Lonzo Ball, then I'm getting Kyrie. Mm. I'm going for Kyrie. I'm going right. for Kyrie. Starting to think that. Like at first, I was thinking like when he apologized, like yeah, he come to LA. He just playing this crap off. He come to LA, <laughs> and then I'm starting to think you know all the stuff with you know I've been kind of hip to school and been hip to him and the rant. Didn't know they were that tight, and right. now I'm like, you know what, the Knicks are in play. Like I'm, I'm or the Clippers are in play. Like there are certain right. teams I feel like are in play to get both of them, and like and I, and I'm thinking like you know what, like I can see. I can see Kyrie being being with Durant over being with LeBron, but if I'm the Lakers, I'm Magic. I'm I'm doing whatever it. I'm doing whatever it takes to bring him to LA and telling him, you know what, we can win championships and it, and you'll be bigger than whatever, whatever Magic wants to tell him. And who who's better to tell you than a than one of the greatest I mean, one of the greatest players who ever did it, and also the greatest to me the greatest point guard who ever did it, um, in Magic Johnson. So and Kyrie plays the point guard position, so you know Magic could probably could relate to him a little bit. Um, but yeah, those are players I would want. I mean, there are other players I would take on a low, you know, a low key chill thing. Um, but 
those are those, those would be my top players. Right. Um, but again, but LeBron's gonna have to if they keep this. This is my thing though. If they keep the same, you know, the same nucleus, the same young guys, and they try to you know finagle a trade um, next season to get AD or whoever, they're gonna have to. LeBron's gonna have to be a better leader. Yeah. As one of the biggest LeBron fans in the world, that that that's the one thing that can't be argued. LeBron's leadership qualities, and you know, there's that's a topic for another day about players who say they want to be leaders but just don't know how to do it. This season has been clear. LeBron's leadership qualities leave a lot to be desired, and um, that is something that he's going to have to work on because say what you will, he's getting older, he's aging. Obviously, the decline is coming. But from a production standpoint, LeBron had another great year. Um, can't defend anymore, but offensively, he had an amazing year, was extremely productive. But things went bad with that team, and he, when, even when he came back, he wasn't able to – help right the ship once again guys i've been joined by my guest this week wally akenzo make sure you follow him on twitter he's at urban sports scene giving a unique um and very needed uh perspective in sports in the dc area but also with national topics so make sure you guys follow support man it's very important when you you're venturing out on your own doing things independently man to get that support so make sure you guys leave your five-star reviews make sure you guys check them out Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Wiley, you already know what time it is, bro. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report, man. Appreciate you, my man. You already know. You know I got love for you, man. Love for the show. Again, like I said, your show is great, man. You know, I, you know, I, I like comments when I get feedback. So, right. you already know what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Once again, thanks to Wally and thanks to each and every one of you all for checking, rocking with the show, fighting through, you know, a bit of under the weather probably can hear my voice from time to time but thanks for listening again make sure you follow me on twitter we're at quarterly show q-u-a-r-t-e-r-l-e-e show if you have any comments suggestions or topics that you disagree with me or topics that you may want to hear me discuss hit me up there or you can email me at quarterly report at gmail.com and again as always head on over to itunes apple Podcasts, google play stitcher spotify pod knife or wherever else you listen to podcasts and let me know let your friends know let the world know what you like about the show if you don't mind a five-star review would be greatly appreciated but even more so let it write down a note let me know and let the world know what you like about the show all right guys i will see you back here next thursday have a safe weekend if you're a boxing fan enjoy the fight you know we'll discuss that and more on the quarterly report <laughs>